Welcome to Tripod, Improved Photography's Nature Photography Show. This show is for the weekend photo warriors, the wave a flashlight around in the black of nighters, and the F-16 users. This is Tripod. Hey everybody and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jim Harmer and today I am joined by my friend Greg Benz who makes the software Lumenzia uh, for luminosity masking. Hey Greg, how are you? Hey Jim, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, it's been a while since we've uh, when since we've caught up. I know you've been out shooting and doing a lot of things, um, and also we have seen some changes to Lightroom and Photoshop, um, where they have have added some uh, some tools to help with luminosity masking. Um, so I kind of wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about that. Some of the changes we've seen there, uh, plus. Uh, Plus, uh, you know, what what luminosity masking can do, because I think there are still a lot of people who are still, you know, they know what luminosity masking is, but they've you know just dipped their toes in and are interested to see what they can do. Uh, plus our favorite landscape and travel photography uh, locations for 2018 as you're planning out your next year. Uh, so, Greg, tell us about the tools that, that Lightroom got in its most recent update. Yeah, so this is, I don't know, what is this, about? maybe about a month ago when Lightroom, uh, and, and so Lightroom and Camera Raw both, right? So if you're if you're not using Lightroom, you might be using Adobe Camera Raw in Photoshop or the same thing, but they both got this um, new process version. So technically it's process version four, but the, what the change includes is something that they call range masks, and it is a form of luminosity masking. Okay, well, I've got to, I've got to pause yeah. you there. When you saw that announcement, did your heart skip a beat? It w- well, because you make, <laughs> you make luminosity software. You had, when you saw the announcement, you had to say, oh, before you checked it out. And then after you checked it out, I don't think you were too worried. Oh, no, no, not at all. Actually, uh, kind of the opposite. I had been, I mean, I have no idea if my input had an influence on this, but I was reaching out to a couple of guys at Adobe maybe three years ago, uh, even before I created Lumenzia with some ideas on, on some things they could do. And, and maybe that did or did not have some influence on the, the shape of that. I have no idea, but I've always thought there's a, there's a need for it there. I, I'm not the, of the thought process that like luminosity masking is like one tool set and everything fits in one tool and you're done. I'm more of the mind, mind thought that, or the, <laughs> I don't know what the word is. I'm, I'm more of the, the thought that it's a tool set that you want in all your tools. Oh, interesting. You know, okay. So, so, so to me, it's not like there's never going to be like one definition of luminosity masking that's maybe all encompassing because it, it's it's almost as open ended as Photoshop. And if you put it into Lightroom, it's going to take on you know, different contacts and behave differently. And if you put it into On One or Luminar or all these other things out there, to me, it's whatever your default tool set is. When it gets luminosity masking, it gets better. But I don't think it means that there's like one place you do luminosity masking just like there's not one place that i necessarily use filters or or these other things so okay that's very interesting i actually hadn't thought about it that way uh very interesting okay okay so 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 what does it do so so with range masking basically it's a way that you you know right now in lightroom if you want to make local adjustments you have a paintbrush you have the radial filter where you can do things like vignette and then you have the gradient where you can kind of you know brush things in from one side to the other those are the three forms of local adjustments. And this new tool enhances all three of those. So within those tools, now you can go in and selectively say, hey, don't go adjust this thing. 
So if I'm going to go and drag down a, a gradient on top of the sky and there's a mountain, well, the old version of Lightroom was a lot like putting a, a neutral, like a, a graduated neutral density filter in front of your lens, right? It just, it like, it dimmed down the sky, but it dimmed down the mountain. And what you wanted was to dim down the sky without dimming the mountain. Mm -hmm. With the new version, now you can say, hey, you know, dim down this part of the image, but don't adjust the parts that are already kind of dark. Yeah. Like mountains. Yeah, right? the and spot so, that I always see this is like a tree that's sticking up into a sky. And the sky is much brighter than the tree, but if you make an adjustment to the sky, you make half of the tree look weird. And so it's pretty obvious what edit you've done. Exactly. And so, th so this tool lets you kind of cut things out, whether you're using that gradient or the radial tool or the paintbrush. And so you can use it in so many different ways. Like if I'm going to, let's say I'm like a, a real estate guy and I'm trying to brighten up some white walls, but it's next to like a dark wood banister. Well, I could then cut out the banister. So I'm only adjusting that white wall to make sure that yellow cast of the light is truly turning white without adjusting the banister. It just, so it, it lets you separate things on the screen. And, and what's cool about it is they've done it in two different ways. So you can do a range mask based on the luminance, the brightness of the, of the image, or you can do it based on the color. So you could, you know, say for example, you know, just target the blue sky and not the, you know, yellow building in front of it or something like that. So it gives you some pretty good flexibility. Huh. Okay. So very, very uh, useful tool. Um, the way that they've implemented in Lightroom, I really do like, it's fairly hidden. I think a lot of people probably updated to the new version and they're like, hey, I don't see anything in here. I don't know where that is. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's definitely kind of in the background how they have it, but it's it really is well implemented, very easy. I mean, you got like one slider and and you're set um, for for using the range masking in in Lightroom as it is. Um, so where where would you want to take this a step further or how, what can you do with something much more powerful like Lumenzia uh, that, that you can't do with a quick tool like that? Well, so maybe to just round out the Lightroom side of things, Sorry, go ahead. The, yeah. the, the implementation on it is really well done. So the place you'd find it is at the bottom of those local adjustments. So like if you're trying to adjust the gradient exposure or whatever, you just go to the bottom and there's a range mask option, you just turn it on and you just pick color illuminance and it's very intuitive and they've given you some ability to feather it. So the results are, are actually pretty natural. But what you're doing at the end of the day is you're, you're still working within the confines of Lightroom. So um, if you wanna make multiple adjustments to an image, and most of the time when I edit an image, I might have like 25 or 30 layers. If you do all of that in Lightroom, then every single adjustment is gonna be a new little gray pin on the screen. And if that pin is a brush or a radial or a gradient adjustment, it's an, it lives in a different area. So you might have like 25 different pins stashed in like three different bins. And so just trying to find your adjustment in that tool set is going to be difficult. So I wouldn't use this as like a tool where you try and do super complex edits. I think it's the kind of thing you do to make, you know, either simple, quick edits or prep the file for more advanced edits in Photoshop. And then once you get to Photoshop, then you have all the power of, being able to use layers. And that means things like blending exposures or blending different images. Maybe I'm, you know, a lot of times I'll shoot uh, the ocean on a tripod and I'll blend six, six different waves to capture the look of the ocean. Or, I mean, you can do crazy stuff with blending. I mean, I'll, I'll blend different focal lengths. Like I might take a 16 millimeter shot 
where the little mountain in the background looks small and then a 35 millimeter shot where it looks big and blend them into one. So I mean, you can go super deep, but you need to have a layer based tool to do that. And then the other thing you get within Photoshop is going to be things like third party plugins like Nick and things like that. And if you have luminosity masking in Photoshop, then you can apply those edits to just certain areas um, as well as all the other tools in Photoshop. So basically, luminosity masks are a way of targeting the adjustments you make in the software you have, but they don't on their own actually give you anything. They just let you use the tools you already have in a better way. So luminosity masks or range masks in Lightroom let you use the local adjustment tools in Lightroom more effectively, but they don't give you access to any of the other tools that are unique to Photoshop. So that's a, a really long list. Yeah, it really is. And that really targeting the right pixels is the hardest thing in photo editing. If you look even in Lightroom and Photoshop, like 90% of the tools, the whole purpose of that tool is to target just a specific selection of the pixels. I mean, we have a few blunt instruments, like just the exposure slider. It's just a blunt instrument that's just going to hit everything. But then you cut that down and we have a highlight slider that yes, it's affecting uh, the exposure, but just of the highlight pixels or the blacks or the whites or the shadows. Uh, like most of the tools that we have, the whole purpose of them is, yeah, it's making one edit, one one thing or the other, but the purpose of it is it's, it's a way to target just certain pixels. And that's like 90% of the tools in Lightroom and Photoshop. That's what they're doing is just a way to select. But this is one of the hardest, it's one of a, it's one of those tools that none of the other tools uh, quite touch on, you know, where you have that situation and you have a tree against a, a white, you know, a, a sky. And it's like, shoot, am I going to like cut out the tree? Uh, like with the lasso tool? <laughs> like, what do I do? <laughs> uh, like, it, it's just a very difficult situation if you don't have a tool like this. Yeah. And, and, you know, beyond the different tools that are in them, the, the luminosity masks you can make in Photoshop are a lot more nuanced. So, in Lightroom, if I have a, a dark tree against a bright sky or a green tree against a yellow sky or something, then that's not going to be too difficult to separate out. But if I have like a, a pine tree on top of a mountain at the blue hour or something like that, where the tonal difference or the color difference isn't that great, then Lightroom may or may not get you there in terms of isolating that and you're probably going to need Photoshop. So the, the quality of masking is definitely much more advanced in Photoshop. But I, I got to give you know, major kudos to Adobe that they've added a very useful feature to Lightroom and done so in a way that's very approachable and, and pretty intuitive. Like I think most people could just simply try it with no instruction and kind of figure it out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They've done a very good job with it. It's something that I will use uh, most, maybe not most of them, very often anyway in Lightroom because, you know, when you're editing a landscape, you're going to use the gradient tool and stuff like that. I mean, they're very popular, very useful tools. Um, and so to be able to make those those changes are, are things that I'll use frequently. And the simplicity with which they've done it is fantastic i mean you if you if you understand what luminum luminosity masking is and you just when you've clicked on a gradient tool or something like that it just shows right at the bottom it'll show you show range mask uh, and then it just gives you the options between luminance and color uh, and 
90 i can't yet figure out a, a time where i'm going to use the color um the color one but luminance i, I use uh, and it's just got two little sliders for the smoothness and the range of of how bright those pixels are so while we're on that where, where would you use the color uh luminance there i haven't found a, a real use case where i say ah color luminance color range yeah, you know, I, I use it quite a bit in Photoshop, but I think you need some of the nuance to do the things I do in Photoshop. The place I would probably use it over in Lightroom might be, for example, getting rid of like colorful distractions. I, I'm sure I would use this. So an example of this would be I'm shooting a family portrait and in the distance there's like an orange construction pylon or a red stop sign or something really distracting. And my subject is maybe, you know, wearing uh, a red sweater there's some other part of the image that's like the same color so mm -hmm. i can't just go to the hsl panel i can't just go to hsl and take red down that's not going to work but with a local adjustment maybe i can very quickly draw like a gradient or a brush over that stop sign you know target the red and then desaturate it or something like that and, and that's going to get rid of that thing that was taken away from the image okay yeah i i i mean it's it's a little bit more nuanced for me like that i you know if you have someone with the same color shirt and an orange going like yeah yeah i, I guess you can see spots where you can use it but i definitely don't think that's gonna be a frequent one for me no i, I mean i think i think the range mass will be a little bit niche i mean partly because it's not easy to just find it and you can forget about it but um I think for the people who want that level of control, a lot of them have Photoshop. And so it becomes a question of, is it better to do in Lightroom or Photoshop? And, you know, I know I, I personally will, will continue doing most of this in Photoshop, but I like having it for the images that are maybe like not portfolio images, or I'm trying to work really quick. And, you know, I don't want to spend 30 minutes in Photoshop. I just have like two minutes. I want to get this thing done. So um, I'm excited for it. I mean, I think there's a place for it, but it's, it's not, it's not an either or it's kind of like, now I've got this one tool, it's kind of like niche, but mm -hmm. when it's applicable, it works really fast. But then I have this other tool that is kind of limitless and I can do anything with it, but I may have to spend a little bit more time with it. Right, huh, very cool. Uh, okay, so let's dive into Lumenzia and the, well, let's talk about the Photoshop side first of all, because as you mentioned, there are a lot of tools. Uh, so what are some things we can do with a more advanced uh, luminosity thing that, that's not possible with, with, uh, with Lightroom? Let's talk about that and then we'll dive into Lumenzia specifically. Yeah, so the, the biggest thing for me is the ability to use luminosity selections. So everyone says luminosity masks and it's kind of this catch-all term uh -huh. for masks and selections and, and all sorts of other stuff. Most of the time, like I'd say 70, 80% of the time, when I say luminosity masks, a lot of times I actually mean I'm using a luminosity selection. So like a mask would be just sort of a, a general, you go, you know, target something across the whole image and maybe refine that mask a little bit, but it's a little bit kind of rigid in that like I target, you know, my lights five, tones or something like that across the image and then maybe I carve out a piece of it. It's it's not as flexible as a selection. So with a selection, I can create a selection and then I can paint through that selection. And it's hard to describe without showing someone visually, but with a luminosity selection, the control factor is just through the roof. Like one example that would be if I'm gonna go and dodge and burn an image no single luminosity mask is going to identify what I want to work on. Maybe like, for example, if, if someone looked at my, um, 
how to retouch black and white images with luminosity mask video in YouTube, you'd see that there's areas where I'm targeting bright spots on a rock and I'm gonna brighten that up to show the light catching that. And then there's like dark spots in the cracks and I'm trying to target those and darken those down. Um, but there's no single luminosity mask that would do all that. So if I tried to work with luminosity masks, I could do it, but I might need five or 10 masks and it would get super complicated. Whereas with luminosity selections, I can just keep painting with white or black paint on that dodge burn layer through different selections. And that level of finesse and control, I think is what really kind of separates the entry level efforts from the truly professional, incredible results you can get from, um, you know, the masters of luminosity masking. So it's really all about the selections. That's the biggest one. Um, but yes. it's not, the, it's not the only one. Yeah, so like I'm seeing behind you, uh, you have a picture of a of a lake um, and some clouds above it. Where, where is that lake, by the way? That's Milford Sound in New Zealand. All right, so amazing place. Um, so we have these clouds. Like, if you if you want to target just this, you know, you picture a cloud and that's all puffy with different, you know, little pockets um, to make up this one cloud. If just one of those little pockets is a little bit bright um, in it, uh, that's something that we see all the time. You know, it's not that the whole, the whole sky is overclosed. It's just like these couple little parts of a couple of the clouds got a little bright in, in the frame. Um, and so you could go in with an adjustment brush or something and you could try to, you know, just brush on that spot. And if you're careful, you know, it's, you get a pretty good result. Uh, but still, it's not going to be perfect. I mean, some of your brush is going to touch areas of the cloud that, that weren't bright and, and some won't get it quite right. And you can tell it's kind of a brush stroke if you do too hard of an effect. You know, if you move your exposure too much or something like that, you can tell, oh boy, he's made it a brush stroke in this spot. And with a luminosity mask, it's a way of, of because the tool itself knows exactly how bright every single area there is, when you make that stroke instead, it can just perfectly touch uh, the areas that you want it to touch. And that's that's really where it gets powerful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just, it's just that ability to be super precise with things. And, and um, it, it sounds like, you know, sometimes when you describe it, it almost sounds like you're talking about like, just being like laser focused and spending a lot of time with them in an image. But sometimes it's about being uh, a lot faster, right? Cause you could go and, uh, you know, retouch those clouds around the mountain manually and spend like all day painting really carefully or using the pen tool or trying to build, you know, advanced selection some other way or whatever. Um, when all the data you need is in the image, right? If you're trying to take the bright part of the cloud and make it a little brighter, that's like what luminosity masks are built for. You know, you can just dial in that one little thing um, or, or increase the contrast of the clouds or whatever it is you're trying to do. But, you know, you're using the image to define how to change the image. And that's just an intuitive way to work. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, but I will say luminosity masking has hurt my head more than anything else I've learned in Photoshop. It's a frustrating, slow process. At least it was for me to get to the point that I felt like, okay, yeah, I, I mean, if I want to make changes, I can make changes. Uh, but it it hurts your head at, at the first. It's it's not super, not that it's not intuitive. It's just, uh, just thinking about all the different masks and stuff and how you're doing it. it uh, it's just a little bit complicated, I guess. Oh yeah, it's definitely the deeper end of Photoshop. There's no question about it. I think in some ways that 
it gets complicated because there maybe aren't even enough resources yet to really kind of teach and, and on-ramp. I mean, that's something like I'd like to address more is to keep building up more videos is helping people with, you know, I get a lot of people who come asking me questions about luminosity masking specifically because they want to blend exposures to expand dynamic range and they don't like what they're getting from HDR. And I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. Like you should definitely do that. But you know, maybe here's like two or three other things you should try first to get your, you know, your hands on how to use a luminosity mask. It's a little bit like, I've never learned how to ride a tricycle and now I'm going to go ride a Ducati motorcycle. Like I might get hurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, but it, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's a learning process. I mean, I, I've been doing this for years and I'm still learning. I mean, the, the cool thing is like, it's, you really can do anything you want to do. Um, you know, if you just have a vision for where you want to take it, but there, there definitely is that learning curve. Well, Lumenzia has been around for a while and it's, it's, very full featured, uh, very full featured software. But I know you're continuing to develop it and create new things. Uh, what What are you hoping to uh, to accomplish in the software as you move forward? Uh, well, so I'm I'm still kind of defining what the next version is going to look like. But it's probably I'm going to guess about three months out, somewhere in like middle or late Q1 is when I hope to to get things out the the door with the next release. And and for anyone who has Lumenzo, that'll be a free update. Um, for me, it's just continuing the evolution of the same idea. Um, I've never wanted Lumenzia to be the all-in-one panel that does every single thing that any given, you know, uh, Photoshop user might do. Like, I, you know, I don't have, say, like Orton Effects or some of these other things that are in there. And, and a lot of, you know, folks doing landscape photography would love to have that. Um, I've just tried to focus it on being the best luminosity masking tool possible. So it's clean and more intuitive and really flexible. Uh, and so the next evolution of that is just going to be more of those same concepts of just trying to make the workflow more seamless. And there's just all these weird scenarios when you're doing luminosity masking that you kind of learn as you grow. And I'm trying to incorporate that learning into the panel. So I guess the best way I could describe it is I'm trying to take some of the areas where you might scratch your head and wonder, like, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. And just kind of let the panel help you do that. Ah, that sounds even, nice. That's what I need, Greg. <laughs> I need Nerf version. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And it, it, like, I think the test of it being done right is when you get to a point where you almost don't notice the upgrades. It just feels more intuitive and more natural. It's not like, I mean, I, I will have new features and things like that, of course. But to me, I'm, I'm more excited about some of the little hidden things where you don't run into error messages or it helps guide you down a path that gets you to a better looking result. And, and you just, you don't even know that it's doing it for you. And, and those are the sorts of things that I want to focus on at this stage right now. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to see it. I also want to give a shout out uh, to the free version that you have, uh, have available. Um, it really, you can do a lot with it. Yeah. It's, um, thanks. I, thanks for mentioning that. I, you know, um, it's it's very simple. It has three buttons. Uh, one of them creates channel masks. One get, gets rid of them, and one of them takes you to some tutorials. Um, but it gives you all the channel masks you need in one go, and you can do almost anything with with those channel masks. I mean, the difference between the free panel and Lumenzia is ultimately speed and ease of use, much more than features. I mean, they're definitely unique features to Lumenzia, but I think the the speed is the big difference because. Just having the uh, the channel masks, if you know how to use them, you can do a lot. 
yeah, you really can do a lot. And you have tutorials that, you know, that come with it so that you can get your feet wet, get started. So, uh, well, I was going to say definitely anybody listening to this, but it, not anybody listening to this. If you're new in Photoshop and Lightroom, probably I would say no. I would say hold off, get a good get a good feel for Photoshop and Lightroom. But then th- this is really fun uh, and a very, very useful tool. But try that free panel uh, to at least get an understanding of what you can do uh, and what the software does. And then, you know, you want to upgrade, you'll see what it can do and and uh, and get addicted to it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's always good to kind of play. I I played with luminosity masks off and on for a year before I started to even um, you know get serious and create Lumenzi. I mean, it's been a long process for me, but um, you learn a lot along the way too. Like once once you start trying to learn luminosity masks, it changes the way you think because the the hardest thing about luminosity masks is not the tools. It's actually a vision because if you work in, say, a program like Photomatics or oh, I'm Lightroom, sorry, there was a little cut in the video. You said the hardest thing to learn is, and then it cut oh. off. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry about that. The, the hardest thing is really just learning to have a vision. And that is, you know, trying to understand, like, what do you want the image to look like at the end of the process? You know, a lot of people see an image like how, how to create that effect. But it's really much more about, you know, what do you want your image to look like? And if you're in a program like Lightroom or in Photomatics, you know, a lot of these programs have like a bunch of different sliders. And so you can just go up and down the sliders and see what looks good or bad and just keep trying them out. Um, but that becomes very creatively limiting because you're, you're just playing in a very small sandbox. When you start to dabble with luminosity masks, you can't do that. Like if, if you just start trying to like randomly add masks to your image, you'll never get anything good. So you have to, you know, have some opinion on what you want to do to the image and just forcing yourself to think that way. Even if you try luminosity masks and you ultimately decide they're not for you, if you come back to Lightroom and you now have a vision for what you want to do to your image, you're going to work faster and better in Lightroom than you did before. So I think that's one of the best things about using them is just the discipline of trying to think more artistically. And and it sounds ironic, right? Because luminosity masks are like, pretty deep on the technology side. But to me, the biggest learning or the biggest aid is the creative artistic expression. That's a good point. Uh, I liked how you called it, you know, the vision for an image that I I think that's something that I used to really struggle with in editing. uh, And I didn't even realize it was you jump into Lightroom, and you just immediately, you know, you see problems, and you immediately fix problems, you know, too bright too whatever you're fixing, 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 uh, move highlights, move shadows, you're just moving sliders as you go down. And and it's not for nothing. I mean, you're not doing it randomly, you know, why you're moving the highlights, but you didn't really have a vision for what the image should look like at the end. And if you start with that and you kind of have a vision for the mood and the feeling you really want to convey with the shot, well, it may end up that that actually that area actually wasn't too bright. Actually, it was perfect uh, for that effect. Um, you just needed to do some dodging and burning around it or whatever. Uh, but But having that vision first for what you want that mood to be and then jumping into the tools i think is a a big help it's huge and and for anyone who's listening and and, you know when i say vision if that doesn't connect i wouldn't be surprised what what i mean by that uh and and jim i'd love to hear what your thoughts are because i think everyone has a different vision of vision i guess um but 
to me, it's things like what moves your eye through the photograph. You know, mm -hmm. what 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 draws you into the foreground, through the midground, out the background, or um, things like you know, separating a tree from its background. Right? If I if the tree is the subject, then I want to think about edits that are going to make that tree brighter, sharper, colorful. You know, things that make it stand out. And, and do kind of the opposite things to some of the background so that it separates from that background. And something like that, that's not really a filter because what I apply to that image could be totally different for the next image, just depending on the context of it, the subject, what it's you know in front of, whatever. But having that vision to say, hey, you know, this image for me is ultimately about this tree or the movement from this stream up to the mountains and out the clouds in the distance, whatever that is, um, creating those relationships in your photograph. Once you understand that, everything comes together, and that and that starts with, you know, the image you capture, and ends with the the post processing you do with whatever software you're using. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's when when you look at an image, if all you're doing is fixing problems, very often you're going to end up with a pretty vanilla image that just didn't convey a mood. It looks a little bit too raw, even if there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's not an overexposed cloud. There's not a shadow that uh, we clipped, you know, we clipped detail. It's not that that's wrong with it. It's that the, we never really created a mood in the way that we edited it. I was in Zion National Park a couple weeks ago, and I really had got, I hate this phrase, it drives me nuts for some reason, but aha moment, but I did, um, I, where I was shooting in the slot canyons, and I, you know, took a picture, it looked good. And I realized, you know what, this, the composition of this photo isn't about where things are in the frame. It's about where the light is in this frame. So like, you know, there's a boulder in the foreground and there's this river going in, into the midground, and then the, you know, the big sheer rocks on the side making up this canyon. And I thought, man, this doesn't follow the rule of thirds at all. There's just kind of stuff everywhere in the frame. But you look at it and you're like, man, this is a good photo. It turned out. And it's because the middle of the frame is all bright as you're looking up the slot canyon and it's really bright in that area and then all on the right side and the left side it gets darker and darker and darker around it so the composition is not where stuff is placed you know where the rock is where the river is the composition in the photo is more just about how the light makes sense you know this area is bright and then it filters off uh, to both the right and the left of the frame and that was a major learning moment for me that i realized that uh, it was the lighting that was the composition. Uh, and then if you re recognize that when you get into editing, you, all you're doing in the editing is not about fixing problems. It's just about uh, enhancing that effect. It's really burning a lot on the right and the left sides and dodging in the middle uh, to, to really enhance that overall composition. You, you know what I love about the way you just explained that is your, your answer had kind of like two parts. There was the part about the content of the image and, and the emotional relationship with the scene. And then there was that ending bit that was kind of short and not as excited about the technical process. And, and I think that to me is the difference between kind of the editing and the vision. The vision is all about expressing the emotion you feel about a place. It's all about, you know, drawing it out. You've got this flat two dimensional media with all sorts of technical limitations and you're trying to communicate to someone visually this experience of being in this like amazing slot canyon with this super cool light and just, I mean, how do you capture that in a photograph? And 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 and, and that's it. Or that that to me is what vision is. It's that excitement you have behind the image. 
Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, you, you have a, a tree that's just kind of getting hit by the light a little bit and, and that's the tree that stands out and your whole job in editing uh, is about just making that part, that tree or whatever, really stand up, stand out from everything else. Um, so to me, that's a, that's a major leap forward in editing is when you can get away from just fixing stuff and you can start moving to having an end goal for the mood of a photo and making all your edits to accomplish that mood. It's, it's almost like that moment as a photographer when you come full cycle, because I think we all come into it a little bit pure and we're excited and we start capturing some images and then we fall in love with photography and then photography becomes its own focus and we stop thinking about the subject and the communication and the bigger picture. And I think when you get to that moment of being able to express and realize your vision, you've gotten back to that you know beginning moment, that that moment of kind of pure joy and just having a purpose behind what you're doing, right? It's not about having a technically accurate image or getting a bunch of likes or whatever. It's about, at the end of the day, expressing yourself as an artist or connecting with others or there's many different purposes, but behind it is some bigger, you know, emotionally driven purpose for taking the photograph and not just trying to make a photograph. Yeah. So uh, we also mentioned that in this episode, we're going to share a little bit of, uh, of our favorite places to shoot and hopefully get people uh, interested and, and excited, kind of making plans for getting out and shooting in 2018. Every photographer I talk to them with, without exception, everybody says, oh, I just got to get out and shoot more, uh, you know, and often that's just because we haven't planned. Uh, you know, we're busy doing stuff every day. We always want to get out and shoot more, uh, but then things happen. Uh, life happens and we don't get out to uh, put a camera in our hands as much as we wish. So uh, for 2018, where are some of your favorite places uh, to shoot that you might suggest people look at uh, finding a way to get to? So uh, I'll answer this a couple ways. One is I think the question you're asking, which is like the, the actual destinations. Um, for me, photographically, uh, I'm, I'm really trying to find a way back to the Middle East. I was uh, over in uh, Dubai uh, and um, Abu Dhabi and Doha last year. And I, I want to go back to Dubai and, and probably get to Oman. Um, I've just been so inspired by the Middle East. And in Dubai in particular, the photographic community is awesome. I connected with so many passionate and generous photographers. It was kind of unreal. It, it, like, it was just amazing to me how open people were and how much they wanted to connect with other people. I don't, I don't know if I could ever replicate a trip quite like that. That's cool. Um, oh, it was incredible. Um, uh, what's to shoot in Dubai other than tall buildings? Um, well, I mean, you know, you can get into all sorts of stuff with the people, right? You've got fantastic, unique displays of wealth. You've got a very multicultural population. You've got the old fishing villages. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to do any aerial stuff. I think drones are, pr are probably pretty much a no, no, um, but getting up on buildings, you know, that kind of, kind of a big thing. Um, you know, fog is certainly a very popular thing to do in the wintertime if you're able to get access to a, a higher vantage point. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, and, and from there, you can go down into places like Oman. Um, you know, you don't have to take super far road trips and, and you're getting totally different geographies and trains. You get great night shots, interesting rock formations. You've got places like, you know, Jordan that aren't that far away. So, you know, I, I would think of it as, you know, for most folks, if you're coming from the U.S. or Europe or Australia or something or further away, you might as well make it kind of a two destination stop. You're probably going to fly through Dubai and then add on another spot. Huh. Is it is it expensive to travel there? 
Uh, it's actually pretty cheap because Dubai is a hub. Um, I think you can fly to Dubai out of New York for less than a thousand dollars if you watch your your timing. Um, so it's it's not too bad. Other parts of the region can get a little more pricey. It really varies a lot, but Dubai is just so well connected, so uh, it's it's pretty good. Um, couple other places that I would certainly think of. I went to Cuba a few years ago, uh-huh. and and that's another place as a photographer that's really special. And I think what makes it special is not necessarily like the old cars or even the buildings people get very nostalgic about, but the people. It's probably the best place in the world to do street photography, uh, Havana in particular. Um, Sorry, that was the office. <laughs> it's my ringtone. Is it karaoke time? <laughs> no, it's the office. Did you watch yeah. that show? Oh, it's been a while, yeah. Dwight Schrute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Cuba is incredible. Um, it's it's not that hard to get to, even as an American. You can go with Santa Fe Workshops, which is what I did, and they're amazing. Uh, and, and that's just, you won't do people photography like that anywhere else. Like, if you're the kind of person who is a little more shy or has a hard time going up talking to people or feels like you struggle to find people to shoot, go to Cuba because people are just so generous and, and get a little bit beyond the major tourist areas because they do get probably more cameras than they want to see in some places, but it's amazing. Huh, that's cool. I, um, have, have you been to Southern Utah Zion National Park and such? I have, but I only briefly as a photographer, I really have not explored it. I want to go back for sure. That I just can't quite get enough of that area. Uh, I've been there twice in the last, in the last couple months and months and I've been there on other trips as well. And that's man, that area is just awesome. Every time I go, I've got a new photo to the portfolio and that, that doesn't really happen very often anymore. Uh, that, uh, you know, you can just bank on a portfolio shot every time you go on a trip. Uh, but man, every time I go on design national park, anywhere around, you know, Southern Utah, Northern Arizona, there's just so much there. Um, it, it's just awesome. I, you know, I, I feel so blessed as an American. I mean, everything from the Colorado Rockies West is like, you just have to lack creativity if you're not finding something interesting. It's uh-huh. unbelievable how good it is. I mean, Zion, I think, is right in the heart of my favorite area, which is the American Southwest. But there's just, it's incredible. There's so much to do. Yeah, it really is. I, I love it. I love it for the diversity. I mean, I love shooting in areas like, you know, not that many hours north of me, I can get into the Palouse and stuff. And it's really beautiful there. I mean, just really beautiful. And everybody should go. It's it's a beautiful area. But you know, once you've shot a green grassy hill with a barn on it, you've shot every green grassy hill with a barn on it, you know, and I just for some reason, the Zion National Park is just, ah, it just really gets me gets me excited. So I that's one area that I would definitely suggest people road trip to if you can or, or fly to. It's uh, really awesome. The one difficult thing about it is the flying to it. Uh, there really isn't an airport right there. Uh, you're either going to fly into Vegas or Salt Lake and, and end up with a four-hour drive. Um, so that is a little bit of a more difficult part is, is the getting there um, since, since there, there aren't airports right there. Yeah. You know, I, and, and so I, I said earlier, I kind of like two parts to, to my answer. And, and the other part of my answer to you is, you know, my own backyard, right? And, and for me, it's Minnesota, but you could put me in any, any place, I think anywhere. And I could draw a, a three to five hour circle around where I was and find something really worth my time, a lot of time. 
if you're creative about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, no matter whether you're, um, you know, mobility challenged or time challenged or money challenged or whatever might prohibit doing a bigger trip to the desert Southwest or Cuba or whatever, there's always something near you. And I think that sometimes, um, it's a little, it's a little more work because you have to really think about what makes the interesting composition and, and you really have to get to know light and it can be a little frustrating. And I think the best advice I can have would be, you know, group up with some other local photographers and then learn from each other because you go to the same place and someone's going to have an aha moment for you. They do something you never thought of and you learn from that, but just getting out in your own backyard, like I've been blown away this past year, I've driven all over the state of Minnesota, uh, thousands and thousands of miles. It's not a place that a lot of people think of, uh, but it's beautiful. And, and you could throw me anywhere on the map. I could be in Alabama. I have no idea what I would shoot in Alabama, but I guarantee you, if I spent a day or two researching it, I could probably come up with a great list of interesting prospects. Um, you know, even just looking on satellite imagery, you can usually project where some interesting areas might be. If you, even if you don't know what to search for on Google, uh, just starting to look at maps and thinking about like, Hey, here's some elevation changes or here's some water or, you know, whatever, there's going to be something that is worth your time. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, uh, exciting stuff. I gotta, gotta get on, on a calendar and, and make some plans for 2018. And, you know, sometimes we use, we use money and, and, uh, time as, as an excuse, but I mean, there's so much, no matter where you live, uh, no, anywhere in the world, there is a weekend road trip that, that you can get amazing play, amazing areas that will, uh, that will just kind of get the creativity going and get you more interested, um, in photography. So, you know, pull out the calendar and make some plans for 2018. There's so much to, so much to adventure and so much to see in the world. Well, Greg, it's been great talking with you. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, come onto the podcast. Uh, Where can people find the things that you do? Uh, So everything's kind of based right off of gregbenzphotography.com. That's G-R-E-G-B-E-N-Z photography.com. There's a bunch of free tutorials, my free panel, information about Lumenzia, people are curious about that. But there's beyond that, a bunch of tutorials on just, you know, various aspects of uh, photography, whether it's, you know, how to use a neutral density filter or post-process in Lightroom, whatever. So I've got a, a bunch of stuff there. Um, and if you can't find what you're looking for, drop me a line. And uh, if I can't point you to it, I'll, I'll probably try and create a tutorial for it. So Very cool. Well, thanks, Craig. And we'll see you in the next episode.